Our scripture reading this morning is from Daniel chapter 9, beginning with verse 20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Daniel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. And then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate, until the decreed end is poured out, On the desolator. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. May be seated. Father, we would ask that you would open our eyes and our hearts, that you would be our teacher, that you would bring your word to full blossom and bloom in our hearts, that we might live for you. So teach us, we pray, in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, About this time of year, what we're watching, some of us in person, some of us in front of a screen, is watching teams line up with a goal line somewhere down the field, a task, and a a reward that, that awaits once you get to that goal line. It's, uh, it's never fair to move the goal line in a game of that sort. It's just not fair. But it doesn't stop us from asking from time to time. <laughs> in other areas of maybe moving the goal line. Maybe you've got a deadline or an obligation. And at the end of that deadline or obligation is a reward that is yours, and it doesn't take much of us 
to, to think sometimes, could we rearrange the arrangement? To move the deadline, to move the goal. And there are a few teams this past weekend that would have liked to have moved that goal line a little closer. It doesn't stop us from asking, and it didn't stop Daniel. It didn't stop Daniel for asking that very question of the God who ordered their lives, who graciously gave himself to him. It didn't stop Daniel for asking for a change of terms of agreement. You see, basically what Daniel does, and we looked at this last week in Daniel 9, is we're, we're listening to Daniel pray. And he is asking God to do something in line with his character, but in the face of his requirements. He's asking God to be gracious and merciful and to ignore the plight of the people and their condition and their hearts. What uh, we're going to see Daniel talk about that some more, and we're going to listen to God's response to that request. And what we're going to learn with Daniel and Daniel's readers is that we are to understand that God delayed the restoration of God's people because they were yet to feel the shame and the regret over their actions and attitudes. God had delayed the restoration because of what was going on in them. It, from a, that's from a human perspective. Of course, God knew how this timeline would pay out, play out. It was not delayed. But from where Daniel sat, this was a long time coming. We, we see it come in a couple of different ways. We see it in a very timely response to prayer and then we see it in a long time coming answer to prayer. That's what we have in these few verses before us. They, they fall into those two paragraphs, literally, in those two notions. So let's look at them with the time that we have. Remember the situation? This is Babylon. This is captivity. Daniel uses a word in the first part of chapter 9 three times when he describes it as calamity. He says in verse uh, 17, that, or verse 12, under the whole heaven there's never been anything like this that was done to Jerusalem. This is shattering. The city has been destroyed. The temple has been burned. And the people are in captivity. And there is no hope on the horizon except for this promise of God. That's the situation. And so Daniel prays, and as we... As we saw last week, as he does, he's been reading Jeremiah. Jeremiah had been on the scene. His prophecy was out. It was recorded. And Daniel had it. And he was studying what Jeremiah had said. And, and, we, and he would have run across these passages where Jeremiah says to the people, Thus says the Lord, when 70 years are complete in Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise to bring you back to your place. I will come. Seventy years and I will come. And in, in chapter 31 of Jeremiah, Behold, days are coming, Daniel would have read, declares the Lord, what I will make a new covenant 
with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the one I made with their fathers as they came out of Egypt, when I took them by the hand, the covenant that they broke. This time, though I was their husband, this time I will show what a husband is. And this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law inside of them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people and there will be no more rebellion. I will do that. That's what Jeremiah had read and that's what he was praying as the clock was ticking as he flipped the pages of his calendar. He watched and the days were ticking by and the years had come and and this 70 years is just about up. And he looks around and he doesn't see in the hearts and lives of the people of Israel in captivity. He doesn't yet see the repentance. But he's praying. He's praying that God will fulfill his promise. He's praying that the restoration and the deliverance would occur as God said that it would. In verse 20, we read, he's pleading for the restoration and the flourishing of faithful words. He says he's praying for God's holy hill. He's praying about God's holy hill. He wants to see, he wants to see this. He wants to see the people of God coming together in worship of the living God. That's what he's longing for, but he has yet to see it. They have not darkened the doors, so to speak. They have not turned their hearts. And he's got this promise in front of him. And he's praying. It says he's praying about the time of the evening sacrifice. You know, what he doesn't say there is that he's praying his, on his way to the evening sacrifice. Do you know why? Because it had been almost 50 years since there had been one. Since the people of God had gathered together, the temple was destroyed. There was no evening sacrifice. But here's Daniel. About the time of the evening sacrifice, he says. You know, that's not something to lose on us. Don't miss the fact that it's been 50 years since there was an evening sacrifice, and Daniel is still thinking about it. He's thought about it. For 50 years, there's some faith. He has, he's learned to structure his life and to order his life. And maybe that's why Daniel is light years ahead of everyone else at this point in the story. That he has remembered who God is. He's chosen to build his life around the promises of God and even the practices that he had developed as a young man. He's been praying and thinking about this. Uh, one commentator writes on this and says, here we are, it's been 50 years since this had occurred, and yet Daniel still tells time liturgically. <laughs> He's still thinking about the rhythms and the practices of the people of God and longing for the day. And he has grown weary in doing so. In fact, this picture of Gabriel that we're going to get to in just a moment, it says that Gabriel came swiftly. He, he flew to him swiftly. But it could also be translated in my weariness, in my extreme weariness. And they're probably both true to some degree. Daniel is weary, and here comes out of the blue a visitor. It's Daniel from the previous chapter. 
the, the one who came to him, who looked like a man, but interpreted the, dream, the vision for him. And here he is again. He's come back again. And he's come back with, with three things to say. The first one, he says, Daniel, hey, as soon as you began to pray, an answer went out. That's the way it reads. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. God heard your prayer. And when you began to pray, a word came out, and I've come to tell you that the God in heaven to whom you pray has heard your prayer, and I've come to tell you that. That's pretty good to know. That's pretty good for you, for me to know that when we turn our gaze to him, when we look to him, when we ask him, when we plead with him, when we bow before him, there's not a gap between that prayer and God's response. He hears you. Sinclair Ferguson said, God always hears prayer immediately, even when his answer is long in coming. That's the rest of the story. But he hears your prayer, and he comes to you, and in this case, comes in the form of Gabriel to Daniel, and he says, a word went out, and I've come to tell you. I've come to tell you. You may need to rethink some things, but I've come to tell you. That's the first thing that he says. The second thing he says is, Daniel... You are deeply loved. You're, in, you're held in high esteem. The word actually means precious. Daniel, you are precious. And I don't know about you, but almost all of the time, no, all of the time, when I get around to praying whatever that prayer is, that's what I most need to hear. And I'm guessing you do too. That in the circumstances of your life that are hard, that are puzzling, that are difficult, what you need to hear is what Daniel heard. You are greatly loved. And I'm here to tell you. That's what Gabriel came to say. A word went out. You are deeply loved. And then the rest of the sermon is the rest of what he had to say. <laughs> it's the vision. And the reality is it, there's a long time answer to your prayer. It's a long time coming. These verses 24 through 27 are quite easy to trip over. The best way to trip over these verses is to start with 24 and try to make sense of 27 without remembering and thinking about what we've been talking about so far. What's critical to understand is that this puzzling portion of God's Word is an answer to Daniel's prayer. And so we don't start with it. We start with the prayer. And then we begin to see, oh, this is how God chose in some very puzzling manner to answer Daniel's prayer, would you move the goal line closer? One, uh, one scholar looks at this and called it a dismal swamp. 
Another one said, The interminable controversies that have come out of these few verses make any interpretation no longer certain. There's a lot of ways to read or misread these few verses, and boy, has that occurred. There have been, since World War II, there have been over 200 prophecies about the return of Christ with dates that have come and gone, many of whom trying to make sense out of these verses that we're trying to make sense of today. (laughs) So here we go. (laughs) Another scholar, Ian Dugan, looked at this and said the key to understanding the vision is to focus on what is central and clear rather than what is challenging and complicated. We shall not unravel every complexity in the passage, but if we follow this rule, the central message of the vision should not be difficult to see. And that's my hope. Because there will be questions that you have, and I still do, when we finish here today. But there's something central and there's something clear that is your takeaway and mine. And that's what we want God to show us. And here's how we'll get there with the time that we have. Remember the context? It's, this is the Babylonian exile. God has promised, as God promised, He did. He expelled Israel from their land for 70 years because of their impenitent sin. It had, it had taken up such root in their lives, it, it marked who they were. They were no longer staggered by grace and mercy. They just took that for granted and lived lives of their own choosing. And they became impenitent, locked in, unashamed, undeterred. And as God promised, he expelled them. Jerusalem was captured and burned as Jeremiah had warned them in, in his book. And yet God pledges to restore and bless his people far beyond their imaginations if they were to show corporate repentance while they were in exile. You read that in Deuteronomy 30. That's how the covenant worked. Covenant blessings, covenant curses. If in exile you people will show corporate repentance, I will bless you beyond your wildest imaginations. And that's, the, that's what they took with them, a promise. That as they were carted away, they also went with a promise that if they were to show corporate repentance as a people, then God would bless them beyond their wildest imaginations. Now, 539 B.C., the end of the exile, the 70 years, is right around the corner. And Daniel could look out and he could see. He could see that the required repentance was nowhere in sight. He shows up, the building's empty. There's no building. (laughs) But that's a picture of what it is. And so he asked God in his extravagant mercy to restore the Jews anyway. That's the moving of the goal line. He says, God, we've not done what you required, but would you give us six points? Would you give us what you said you would give? Would you give us restoration, forgiveness, 
Restore us to our home like you said you would, even though we have not turned our back toward you again. I've not turned our hearts toward you. And here's what happens. And this is what we see in these verses, that, that, that the Lord answers Daniel's prayer in the affirmative, but in a very surprising way than Daniel ever expected. Because ultimately what he sees, what, what he hears is, okay, Daniel, that promise, that's for, that's for sure. But you've got to rethink some of your assumptions. And you've got to take this. And it's not simply that the goal line could be moved. Because frankly, God is not in the business of moving goal lines. He is gracious and he is merciful, but he does not move the goal line. He in by no means, the passage that tells us that he is full of grace and mercy and steadfast love and patient with us also tells us he by no means clears the guilty. So Daniel hears God say, I don't move goal lines. But the promise that you have, we're going to take your timeline, Daniel, and we're going to stretch it. You've asked for an, a quick fix to a big problem. And you don't recognize how much has to occur before those promises are fulfilled. This passage uh, is, is a hard one uh, for lots of reasons. We read words like I read to you here. It talks about numbers and weeks and the numbers can be translated, uh, interpreted differently. And even the word weeks, it means it's literally sevens. So you can see why some Bibles would read weeks, uh, but you could rightly translate that uh, sevens. I mean, that's what it means. So we read about 77s. What does that mean? Weeks sounds long. Years sounds even longer. But weeks, what is, what's seven? What is going on here? And maybe this helps. This should help to recognize that when we get to a passage like this, we're reading something that is historical, it's reliable, it's true, and it is apocalyptic. What? It's apocalyptic. That means something that was hidden is being revealed. But it's a different kind of literature that you have to read in ways that you don't read the book of Acts or the book of Judges. There's some other things going on. It's historical. The, the Babylon is for real. But when you get to this little passage, you're reading apocalyptic language. And it should be evident when you begin to scratch your head the way you do. You're into different territory. And so, how do you read and interpret a passage that is apocalyptic? Well, for one, there's oftentimes symbolism in apocalyptic literature that you don't find in the book of Acts. It's a different kind of writing. And so, numbers that mean one thing in Acts don't necessarily mean the same thing that they do in Daniel chapter 9. And I'll give you an example because it's not just Daniel 9. It's Matthew 18. This will sound familiar to you. Peter asked Jesus, how many times do I forgive my brother? Seven? How about seven times seven? And Jesus' answer was, no, Peter. 
70 times 7. And what, what is clear to the reader, clear to us there, is Jesus did not mean that the 491st time have at it. What he's saying is your, your whole time frame needs to be expanded. It's not large enough. And he uses numbers that symbolize fullness and completion to say, Peter, there's a limitless obligation that you have to forgive. And in a similar way, it could very well be using those same numbers here that in apocalyptic where it's supposed to, you might suspect that it means something different anyway, that those numbers are referring to something besides 490 years. But it's at least 490 years, and it's longer. Is it going to be precisely 490 years between the return of Jerusalem and this full restoration? That would have, that would have sent Daniel to his knees in agony. 490 years? After we've been here 70 already? And God is saying to Daniel, you're asking the wrong questions. Let me help you, Daniel. <laughs> Let me help you understand that this time frame that you're looking for is something that is going to elude you. This is a little heavy digging here, but I think it's worth it just for a moment. In, in Leviticus 26, in the original prediction of the covenant curses that resulted in exile, God tells his people that there would be a sevenfold increase of the nation's punishment each time the people refused to repent when they were warned. If you don't repent here, it's going to be seven times the punishment. If you don't repeat here, he tells them that four times in, in Leviticus to make the point, and it could very well be that what Daniel is hearing here is the extension to the exile could be viewed, because you know Deuteronomy, Daniel, it could be viewed as another sevenfold increase in punishment. That wouldn't be surprising if that's what's going on. But in any case... God's people would have to wait for the full restoration which could not come before some things happened. And Daniel hears this, what needs to happen, and it's going to take a long time, Daniel. It's going to take a long time before, between the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem and full restoration. It comes over time. It comes in three stages. And I'm not going to go all the way into it just for the sake of time, but, but you see that in verses 25 to 27 where it talks about seven sevens and then 62 and then one and then, the, and then the 70th one is broken up in half and there's a lot going on there that the text really doesn't say left to itself. But what we can say is this, that 69 of Daniel's sevens are marked by difficulties. And he's just saying, Daniel, deliverance is coming but it's going to be a time of trouble. So get ready and look to me and trust me in this trouble. And that's what I need to know and you need to know today. That while we wait, we're still waiting like Daniel for the fulfillment of this whole story. And there will be troubled times. In fact, 69 of the 77s, whatever that means, are marked by trouble. 
But we're to hear this too that Ian Duguid points out. These are the arduous paths that we are to tread. They, they are our path to glory because they were first our Messiah's path to glory. The one who we read here was cut off. And that's what I want us to dwell on here. It's over time. It's in three stages. It's according to plan. These are decreed desolations and there's a decreed end to that. There's nothing that escapes God's control here. Not even desolations are outside of his control. The God who decrees the end of the enemy. They're over time. They're in three stages. They're according to a plan. And they are through an anointed one. See that in verses 25 and 26? Where you see this phrase, there's an anointed one who will be cut off. An anointed one. It, it's not talking about the anointed one, and we're very likely to, to see that, and we need to see that. But before we see the Messiah, what we need to see is that these words were fulfilled in history and meant something to Daniel's readers, and there was an anointed one, just like kings and priests were anointed. So it could be that the one who is opposed and cut off that fulfills this passage first is a man named Onias III who was the high priest once the people were back in the, in the new temple, back in Jerusalem. The high priest was doing his work when Antiochus Epiphanes in the year 171 came on and cut him off, eliminated him, took his life. He was an anointed one. He was a priest. But he was, because he was cut off, he was also an a pointer to the anointed one that this passage is about. Because you see, the anointed one is not only one who was opposed and cut off, verse 26, he is also one who would, quote, have nothing, but he would accomplish all. And now we're beginning to see the story take shape. And now we're see, beginning to see a life emerge and a person come forward out of this text so that when, when Jesus looks at this passage and he's teaching two disciples on their way to Emmaus, he looks at Daniel 9 and he gets to these verse, verse 26 and he says, these things, friends, this is what I came to do. Transgression will be finished. Sins will be brought to an end. Reconciliation will be made for iniquity. Everlasting righteousness will be established. The vision and the prophecy will be sealed. The most holy place, the holy of holies, is anointed. You see, it was right for Daniel to want to see the people delivered from captivity, to see Jerusalem rebuilt, to see the temple worship restored. Those were right things. But the Lord wants Daniel, Daniel to see beyond those things to what they foreshadow. The... the the hope that Daniel had was to see Jerusalem rebuild, the temple worship established. And, and, and the Lord is saying to him, Daniel, it's bigger than that. We could get a temple up. That's not a problem. The problem is the hearts of God's people. And that will take something beyond what goes on here. It will take an anointed one, the anointed one, who comes to do in the hearts of people what they cannot do for themselves and will not. The Lord wanted Daniel to see beyond these things 
to what they foreshadowed. As one writer put it, God's ultimate purpose was not a temple made with hands and a holy place entered once a year. His son was the place in which men were to approach God. His sacrifice, the one that would bring forgiveness. And while Daniel had longed for all these things, now that it was about to take place, now that the end of captivity was coming to an end, God simply lifts his gaze and says, Daniel, it's not Babylon. It's not Jerusalem. There's another mountain peak of redemptive history for you to ponder. It's to look far beyond your lifetime. Because even a new temple rebuilt, made by human hands, could be destroyed. And Daniel's eyes, like ours, were to be fixed on a final temple, one that would be beyond all desecration that we read about in the rest of the story that Daniel longed to know. What we know is from the gospel, from, from the book, from the revelation of John. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light the nations will walk. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day. And there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Here's a temple. Here's the final temple. And until my heart is right with him, until I turn to him, I have no place in that temple. So God says to Daniel, I don't move the goal line because there's too much at stake. It's not simply being gracious because I can. It's being gracious and righteous and recognizing that what is needed for my people is a cleansing, a full cleansing. What they need is a righteousness that they don't have, a righteousness that they will never manufacture. They can't work that up. It has to come from me, and it's a gift. And it's going to take a while. It's going to take my son. So how do we wait? How do we wait with patient hope? Because that's where we are. We wait three ways, quickly, with certainty in view of God's character. He is a patient God. He is slow to anger. Peter was asked about the end times, and he said, Hey, don't overlook this fact. Beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient. So that's how we wait, with the certainty of the patience of God. Do you know that? Do you know that God is patient? Do you know why? We're going to get to that. We wait with patience. We wait with diligence, Peter says, 
According to his promises, we're waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We don't know when it's going to be. There will be dates, they will come and go, and there will be more dates, and they will come and go. But beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found in him without spot or blemish and at peace. So that's how we wait. We wait with diligence, making sure that the righteousness that we need is the righteousness that God has provided for us and it is ours to be found without spot, without blemish. And do you know that, friends? Do you know that peace? Are you that diligent to make that the priority that it is? In fact, the urgency that it is. We wait with certainty, we wait with diligence, and we wait ultimately with repentance in view of God's mercy. Peter says, not wishing, God is not slow, not wishing that any would perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's who we are. That's where we stand. That's how we wait, with certainty, with diligence and repentance. With Daniel, we look ahead to a more distant, to a loftier peak, and somewhere in the foothills of that peak, when we are there, when we're in the foothills of that peak one day, the mysteries of Daniel 9 will become clear. And maybe not until then. But as they become clear, we have already been, it's been made clear that we are His. That is the moment of the day. Today is to know that you are His and that the redemption and the comfort that apocalyptic literature is meant to build in the hearts of God's people is yours that you leave here today with that comfort and that hope. Sin is brought to an end. Reconciliation is made for iniquity. And there is a day to come when righteousness will be established fully and finally in all of the world. Righteousness and justice. But today that righteousness is yours by faith. Clothed in His righteousness. Do you need that comfort? Yes, you do. Do you have that hope? That's the question that this text lays in front of you, in front of me today. Pray with me. Father, our plea would be that you would do that work in us to grant to us that kind of comfort and hope that comes from knowing what is clear and what is certain in a passage that is filled with mystery and unanswerables for many of us. Lord, we need to hear and we do in Christ those great words, you are greatly loved. And we belong to one who is working out that redemption, the fullness of it that takes time. And so we wait with hopeful, with gracious anticipation of what is to come. And we can do that because we know to whom we belong. We thank you for Christ our Lord. We pray in his name. Amen. Let's stand and